Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. I'm so excited to share the word today. You know, it's such an honor, and it's, it's a big deal for the lead pastor to hand over the pulpit and say, I trust you, and so I appreciate this honor to share God's word with you today. We're going to kind of fast forward through the book of Judges. If you read Judges, we're going to go to Ruth. And so we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1 this morning. And I think we have a good word this morning. We're going to start um, verse 1 through 5. And it should pop up on the screen in a second. And let me read this. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So this was the same time as the book of Judges. A severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea left his home and went to live in a country, the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. Elimelech, that is, I like, love that name. And the wife was Naomi. We have <laughs> Naomi here, who happens, her middle name is Ruth, by the way. They had two sons, Milan and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judea. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons, or in her husband, with, with her two sons, without her two sons, or her husband. I gotta get that right, that's pretty important <laughs> to the story. If you read through Judges and into Ruth this past week, I think you'd agree with me when we say that the book of Ruth shines like this sparkling diamond in comparison to the dark backdrop of Judges. And, and in the story of Ruth, there's this beautiful a story that shares about the elements of grief and uh, feeling despair and, and then all of a sudden hope and then there's love and commitment and loyalty and all these elements that we all face in our life. And so this really speaks to us today, I believe, in some very important ways. You know, it starts in despair, but it ends in delight. And so, a little bit of a spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book of Ruth yet, it ends a little tough, but it ends very well. Now, there's one thing, there's a lot of truths we can pull out of this study today, but there's one main thing I really want us to go home with. And so, I'm going to kind of uh, really cement this in and talk about it a lot, and that is, no matter what is happening... God is still at work. God is still at work. He's still working today. He's still working in our lives. And there's times we just don't see that. But I want that to be cemented into our hearts. In fact, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit interactive with me in this. And we're going to come back to that point a few times in this message today. And so when I kind of do this, that's your cue to say, God is still at work. God is still at work, okay? So we'll try that out. So, so practice your line a few times in your head so you don't get it wrong. And then 
In a few moments, we will practice and see how we do with that. So there's four situations in the book of Ruth where we see God still at work. And so there's these four scenarios. We're going to go through each of those this morning and, sh- and share how we can see God still at work very much in the story of Ruth and Naomi's life. So let's start with number one, what we just read about. Even when the world around us is crumbling, God is still at work. And in their world, it was very much crumbling. It was the time of the judges. It was a time of spiraling downward decay in the land of Israel. We ended with Joshua. It was so good. He challenged them to follow the Lord. We heard about Joshua last week. And he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people said, yes, we're in. We're going to do the same thing. We will serve the Lord. And it didn't take too long before they stopped serving the Lord. And they had a leadership vacuum. And they had, the land became filled with violence and chaos. And it even spiraled down to tribal warfare. We see at the end of the book of Judges that uh, the, the tribes began to fight each other in this violent civil war. It was just terrible at the end of Judges. And the last verse of Judges says this, every man did what was right in their own eyes. And that was not good because the selfish, fallen human heart began to display itself in in this evil and lawlessness. And it was a time when it was disintegrating down to mob rule. I think for any nation, that's a warning that if we reject God's word, God's truth, what leads that nation? What leads that culture? And it, it disintegrates down into who controls the, you know, the voice, who controls the platforms, where it turns into mob rule. And I think we can even say today that we're concerned about our country if we have rejected God's truth. But it's interesting that at the same time, there was this great famine. The word Bethlehem, the name of the town Bethlehem, means house of bread. And here at this time, this house of bread was breadless. It was empty. It was famine. that had taken over the land. We don't know if that was God's direct judgment. It doesn't say, but in Deuteronomy 11 and Deuteronomy 28, two important chapters in Scripture that tell us, here's the blessings and here's the cursings when a nation follows me or they don't follow me. And so we need to pay attention And so there's this famine on top of everything else that's going on. And here, Elimelech takes his family off to Moab. Now, you have to understand, that was a a pretty uh, strange move to take your family to Moab because they had been not friendly with Moab. And in fact, when Israel had come across uh, out of Egypt, Moab had not treated them well. And so there's this faction there, these... These were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so they were kind of distant relation that did not get along at all. And, and I can't help but wonder if things must have been so bad in Israel, in Bethlehem, for Elimelech to take his family and travel over to Moab into this foreign country that was odds against Israel. So it's, it's a tough situation, and we have to ask ourselves, In these tough situations, when the world is crumbling, is God still at work? Is he still working today? You know, I I stop and think about our situation here in our country. We're experiencing 
some difficulties, inflation and, and rising crime, things like that. But I stop and think, the people in Ukraine, what about them? What about their situation? I mean, they are literally seeing their world crumble. And I think about them all the time. And I have to ask the question, God, are you still at work in that country, in those lives? And I believe God still is working in that nation. God is still raising up his church, even though they're experiencing terrible uh, disarray in their culture and, and the challenges they face. There's been over 5 million refugees that have left Ukraine and, and gone into the neighboring countries. And so we, we definitely we will be praying tonight in our encounter prayer time, praying for the people of Ukraine. But I look at God's word and I ask the question, is God still working in those poor people's lives? And I, I can't help but discover the truth that says, yes, God is still very much at work and in the, the lives around this world, no matter how desperate the situation gets. I love Psalm 23, 4, where it says, even though I walk through what the darkest valley the darkest valley, I fear no evil because you are with me, your rod and your staff. It comforts me. Even when our world is crumbling, God is still at work. Psalm 46, 1 and 2, we studied this in our, in our senior adult Zoom group for several weeks. I think it took me five weeks to get through this one scripture uh, talking about how God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help. And therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountain falls into the heart of the sea, we know that God is still at work. And so the world was crumbling, but yet what? God was still at work. Number two, what we see, it goes from bad to worse. Even when we face overwhelming trials, was God at work? <laughs> Let's orchestrate that a little better. I'm sorry, I didn't. Even though we face... Overwhelming trials. You're getting it. We're catching on. It's good just to repeat sometimes, just to remember. Okay, yes, you're still at work. Sometimes I have to repeat those truths to hear the word of God over and over. It's like, okay, all right, I'm listening. We do a devotional every morning. And it just seems like that just was designed for every day exactly what I'm going through that day and I, I just love to hear that reminder God is still doing great things say Naomi faced overwhelming trials in this story I mean here we have the world falling apart there in Moab a foreign country her husband dies and then 10 years later her, her two sons die just unimaginable grief that she would have been experiencing this situation, and not only the grief of losing these loved ones, all the men in her, her world, but just the challenges of being a widow in that culture. Uh, you know, today we try to have systems that would take care of somebody in that situation, but, but in that ancient world, there were no systems at all, and so there was no provision, and she would basically have to go out and beg to sustain herself, and she had no protection in that, in that culture, and so she could very much be taken advantage of. It was very scary for her, I'm sure. And in the midst of that, she is experiencing this extreme grief. And let's talk about grief for a couple minutes. 
we talk about God still at work in her life. It's interesting that the name Naomi means pleasant, lovely, or delightful. And so when you look at the story, when she goes back to her home country, it says that she was anything but that pleasant and delightful. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. My life is bitter. In fact, when she went back to Bethlehem, they're saying, we kind of remember this lady, Naomi, but she doesn't look the same. She was, had experienced some difficulties of life. But there's something that Naomi does that I think is important in our grieving process. She's very transparent. She's very open. I mean, she just says it. I just feel like God has forsaken me. And she just kind of shares her grief and her sorrow. She doesn't try to cover it up. And I think sometimes we think, as Christians, you know, we have to be tough and strong and not show our emotions. Don't let anybody know we're suffering. And I think sometimes our faith can be a little less than authentic if we don't share. Yes, we have been through some struggles. I'm going through struggles right now, and I need your prayers. But to come out the other end and say, God, deliver me through that, to say that I hurt and that God hurt with me, I think that's a powerful statement of our faith that's been tested and tried, but we come out the other end to say, yes, my faith is stronger than ever before. So it's like David just kind of spilling out his emotions. That's what Ruth, or that's what Naomi does here in the story. She doesn't try to cover it up. She's very open. And I think that helped in the process of her recognizing God's hand of healing You know, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, we have hope. One of the things that that we experienced here 11 years ago, as as being a part of the pastoral staff, we lost our daughter, our oldest daughter, Amber. And some of you are here and you remember that very vividly. It was a very difficult time. I was a mess. I... I didn't try to hide my grieving. I was broken. When we learned about it, it was very unexpected. And so it was a very difficult time. But I can tell you this, through that process, that I felt God's presence was very real and very tangible. And, And God carries us. I felt like he carried me like his little lamb through that season. And and help me through that, help Melora through that season. It's still tough, we still grieve, but we have that hope. We have that hope we're going to see her again. We just see her right now working in the nursery in heaven, you know, and things that she loved. She loved children and was just about ready to start um, waiting on the Lord to, to become pregnant, her and her husband, and... and um, we had a big change, but God was there. Even in our darkest, darkest hour, God is still at work. Amen. And we see that happening in Naomi where she stood firm. Even though she was grieving outwardly, she stood firm in her worship of God. Uh, she mentions God over and over. Uh, she shows kindness, and you see that in the story when she said she realizes Bethlehem has food again, so she said, I'm going to head back. 
head back home because she wanted to be amongst her people. She wanted to worship God. She was determined in that. Even being surrounded with people who didn't worship Jehovah, she stood firm in that faith and in that character. And when she started to head back, her daughter, daughters-in-law started with her, Orpah and Ruth, and she shows kindness. She stops She says, look, uh, my daughters, and she has these kind words like, you don't have to go with me. Go back to your family, I understand, and, and that's where you need to be. And eventually, Orpah, they're crying. It's a very emotional scene that's taking place on this road back to Bethlehem. And Orpah finally gives in and says, okay, I'm heading back home. But Ruth clung on to Naomi tightly and said, I love verse 16. I think we have that up on the screen. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And I just love that faith of Ruth saying, I'm going to follow the Lord, and, and having that determination. And, and that's a, a perfect example of somebody surrendering their heart to the Lord and saying, you know what, I just need to give in. I need to follow God. And there's some price that Ruth pays in that decision to, to go into a strange land, and, but she counted the cost. She said, I'm willing, I'm ready to go, and to pray that kind of prayer and to make that kind of statement was so powerful. You know, what about for us when we go through overwhelming trials? You know, I've been through a few other trials the last few years, and, and I can tell you that when we come to the end of ourselves is when we discover God's grace. And many times it's in those, those darkest moments when we find that there's a gateway into God's amazing growth and grace in our lives where he does his deepest work. And for us today, I don't know what you, all your situations are, but if you're facing something and it's difficult, I know uh, we're praying for Ken Stainer and we uh, just had to, to let go of, of Marie Scottdahl a few days ago, and so there's families that are facing some very difficult challenges, and as I look around, I see some of you, and I know some of your stories, and right now, I guarantee you, God is still at work in your life. It's so amazing how God can take the darkest situation and turn it for his good. There's a turn in this story at this point before we go to number three. And if I was the, the director of this movie, the movie of Ruth, this is how I would direct this scene. And in verse 21 of chapter one, Naomi is saying, God has, he has forsaken me. And it's just like the lowest moment. And so the, the music would be in this minor key, sad. But then you come to verse 22. And I would take, and I would do a camera shot where it would be like a drone flying kind of up into the distance. And seeing this field off in the distance, verse 22 says, and it was spring and it was barley season. And all of a sudden the music would kind of change to a major key. And you would fly out to this sun shining down on this barley field. And you'd see the back of a man that we're going to find out who he is in just a few minutes. 
How many think I would have made a good movie director? <laughs> so all of a sudden, this, there's kind of a change in tone. And so, so we get to number three, and they get back to Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth, and they're just trying to figure out, what do we do? How do we move forward? And they're still grieving, but, but many times you just have to learn how to just start putting one foot in front of the other. And, and you go into what I would call ordinary days, you know, where you're just putting your head down, you're working, you're doing everything you can, you're serving the Lord, but maybe there's nothing spectacular, there's no visions, signs and wonders, you're just doing what you think is right, and that's kind of what I see happening here in this scene. They just settle into ordinary days. So even when we face ordinary days, God is still at work. In fact, we're going to see where most often this is where God does some of his greatest work. So they, they just start to put their head down, and, and Ruth hears about the, this scripture that had commanded the farmers to leave the corners of their field unharvested. It was this great system to help people who are needy, and, and it was a very compassionate thing. And so, so she hears about that, and she thinks, okay, I can do that. So she just kind of picks a field, heads out to the nearest field. It happens to be where I would have put the drone, you know, kind of flown into that field. And uh, she starts to harvest. And the owner of the field kind of notices her right away. I think there's a little bit of some romantic chemistry here. It's, who's that? And, and they tell her, and she starts to work, and says so she, she harvested a whole, a whole bushel full of ephah of barley, which was enough to feed her and Naomi for like a month. So it was this great, successful labor together. And sometimes it's just putting your head down and working, like I said. But even in those days, God was still very much at work. And we see this scene where Boaz enters. He's a new character in the story. And he's a man of great integrity, uh, well-respected, follows the law, puts side of his fields aside for those who are needy. He uh, is kind in his words. He's encouraging. Once he starts to connect with Ruth, he's like, oh, yes, I heard about your loyalty to Naomi. And he gives her this wonderful encouragement. So, so you would, if you were watching this movie, you would love Boaz right away. He just would be this, this calming personality, strong, and you know, just kind of shares directly. And is very encouraging, very positive, a man of God, a man of faith. And so he's this great character that enters this story. And not only was he a man of integrity, but he happened to be, you know, when God is at work, sometimes we think, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> but he happens to be a relative to Elimelech, which means that he has the ability under the Old Testament law to actually buy this field that belonged to Elimelech to kind of redeem it back so the family could keep it in their name and to actually marry Ruth. Wow, okay, now you can say God is very much still at work in this story. 
And so you have this wonderful picture that we can apply today. And, and it's a picture of how Christ, this man of integrity, has entered into the world and came as fully God and fully man, our kin, our relation, so that he could pay the price for our sin, for our redemption. In fact, you can look at the Hebrew word in this story, and it's the exact same Hebrew word when it talks about Boaz being the kinsman redeemer as Christ as our redeemer. Gwal is the, the Hebrew word there. It's the exact same word. And so it just means somebody who can come in and redeem the situation. And that's this beautiful picture of how Christ came to redeem us and to give us that brand new start in our life, his forgiveness, the covering of his blood. In fact, Ephesians 1, 7 is this picture of Boaz and his kindness. It's a picture of the heavenly, our heavenly father. It says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. I just love that verse. So rich in kindness. And that's what you see in this character of Boaz, rich in kindness. It's a picture of our Heavenly Father who very much wants us to come to his redemption. He's waiting for us. Why do we run from his grace? That to me is always the worst. The biggest mystery in the world, why, and I did until I was 16 years of age, ran from God and his grace. Finally, I realized that was so foolish that I gave my heart to him. And, and from that point on, kind of like Ruth, I'm going to follow God. That's my determination. So even in, when the world is crumbling, even when we face overwhelming situations, overwhelming trials in our life, even when we walk through ordinary days, it seems like maybe we miss God's grace and miss his favor sometimes through those ordinary days. God is still at work. And let's try this out one more time, the fourth situation. Even when we don't understand God's plans, God is still at work. And for Naomi and Ruth, I mean, do they understand you know, we know the story. We know how it ends, right? They, they didn't know that through the, the dark season. And there's some of you today that can say, yes, there's things in my life I just don't understand. God, how can you use this for your good and for your pleasure? And sometimes we begin to question, is God still at work in my life? And and I see him maybe working somewhere else, but not in my life. And we, we have to come to that conclusion. Yes, God is still at work in your situation today. Let's look at the end of the story, chapter 4, verse 13. So we started with the death of Elimelech, Melon, and Kilion. And here... In chapter 4, at the end, verse 13 through 17, it says, So Boaz took Ruth into his house, into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. 
For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor's women said, the neighboring women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David, King David. So you can see how this story unfolds. And there there's times, I'm sure, they just did not understand how could God use this, all this trouble and, and sorrow and grief for anything to turn out good. You know, a verse that sometimes I've heard people say, don't quote that verse to me, is Romans 8.28. That God does work all things for the good to those who, are, who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. That if we are saying, God, I want to follow you, he does turn all things to the good. And that word is truth. That is what God is doing in your life. He's turning those things around for your good, for your best. He wants you to have the best. And so he's very much working in your situation. And we see the blessings that flow at the end of the story that come from these people that stood strong with God. They recognized God. They struggled, but in the end they said, God is still at work. And you see the fruit of that in these ending scenes. You see, first of all, Boaz... You know, he's, uh, he found somebody that uh, he noticed out in the field, and God uh, aligned that, God designed that marriage. It was this beautiful picture of, of this romantic love, and they, they followed the course as they should. And here he is blessed with this beautiful wife, this son. And I think what blessed Boaz the most is now he can hand his faith down from generation to generation, because he was a man of faith and integrity, and he instilled that in his son, Obed. And that was instilled in Jesse, and that was instilled in David. And so you can see that backbone and that strength and that kindness that was handed down from generation to generation. What about Naomi in this story? What a sweet blessing. I mean, she struggled and suffered tremendously, but in the end to hold this grandchild. And so she loved that grandchild as her own. How many grandparents do we have here today? How many would, would say that being a grandparent is one of the greatest privileges out there? Uh, those of you that are young parents, congratulations, but just wait until you are grandparents. That's when it gets exciting. That's when you just think these are the smartest grandkids that God ever created. And they're the sweetest, and you just fall in love with their little personalities, and there's so much joy. And for Naomi, this is how this picture ends, with her bouncing little Obed on her knee and just cuddling him, singing songs of praise to her God, to him, and just, just having this new opportunity in life, this restart of being able to once again to be a grandma to her grandson. It just seemed impossible as you begin this story. God was still very much at work, 
And then you see Ruth, and you see the blessings that were poured upon her for her willingness to go and to make God, Jehovah God, her God, and not understanding all that that meant, but saying, I don't care, I'm determined, I'm going to follow God. And you see these wonderful blessings flow from the story as Ruth, you know, is, she's in the photo album of David, the king, uh, someday, and in the lineage of Christ, in the family tree of the Messiah. Now, that's a pretty big blessing. That's a pretty big honor when you think about it. And when you look at some of the characters that God brought into to that genealogy of Christ, you have Rahab, who was, Rahab was actually an a ancestor to Boaz. So you have from both directions, you have Rahab, who was a part of the Canaanites, she saved the spies from, uh, from destruction, was obedient to God. God blessed her line of descendants down to Boaz. And then you have Ruth, a Moabite, that was brought in. And you have this wonderful picture of God saying, I don't care what your background is. I don't care how much you have struggled in your life, how much you have failed. It does not matter. I can still do a great work in your life. And I still want to use you and pour my grace upon you. And sometimes we think, well, I'm just not quite the, you know, the material that God can use. And this is such a beautiful story to say, God used these people from different backgrounds to bring his salvation. So let's conclude this morning and, and just talk about how can we can apply this word this morning. As I look around, I see some new families and I see some uh, familiar faces. And I don't know where you're at spiritually in your walk with God. But I, I think we would be amiss to, to walk past this when we talk about Ruth making that decision to follow God at any cost. And that's what happens when we decide, I am going to be a Christ follower. I'm going to follow Jesus. We might not understand what that means, but we know there's something tugging at our heart saying, I need a new start. I need to surrender. And perhaps there's somebody here today that just is ready to make that surrender and to follow Jehovah to follow Jesus like Ruth followed and made that commitment in her life. Or maybe you're facing overwhelming trials that were so difficult and we want to pray for you and, and just say God is still at work. We want to encourage you. Or perhaps you're just going through a season when it just seems like you're doing all the right things it's kind of like an ordinary day after ordinary day. And maybe sometimes you start to feel like you've been passed by. And some of you are waiting for the right person to come along for your romance. Some of you are waiting to have a child and it's not happening. Some of you are in a career position where you've been passed by. Some of you are feeling like some of your friends have left you. There's all kinds of life situations. You know what I think God is saying to you today? I know you by name. And I see your situation. I almost feel like that's a word of prophecy this morning. I just felt really impressed to say this. 
You feel passed by, and the Lord is saying, you're not passed by. I'm still at work. I know your name. I know your situation. And I'm still at work. I'm still at work. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just love this story so much. And just to share this bright, shining example of how you're working, Lord. And, and it was in subtle ways throughout Ruth. There's, there's not this overt, uh, demonstrative demonstration of, of your power or might. There's no pillar of fire. There's no cloud. There's really seemingly no obvious miracles. But yet every day of this story that happened, you were working you were orchestrating. You were moving pieces. You were helping them to avoid even tougher situations. You were moving them along, Naomi and Ruth, and then Boaz. Oh, what a wonderful picture, God, of how you take things that just look totally hopeless and you turn it for your good. God, you do that over and over. You've done that in my life. I know you can do that in our lives today. Lord, as we worship you, I just pray, let us respond to you, whatever our situation that we're facing today, just to be assured that you're still at work today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. You know, I couldn't sing that song without thinking about Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 says, have you, have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. How many are ready for power <laughs> in your life? And no one can measure, and he says, uh, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, and he gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. Not in the nursery, but even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But then, this is the line. But those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, they will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. As we wait on the Lord, we know that it's an act of waiting, of the Lord working all things to our good, as Pastor Steve quoted in Romans 8, that, that conformity to Christ, that preparation. The Lord sees where you're going, that recognition that God is getting us ready. He's getting you ready. Amen. Wasn't that a powerful word from Pastor Steve this morning that you appreciate? It's a powerful word. Thank, thank you, Pastor Steve. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Be sure to join us tonight as we wait on the Lord. There's, it's, there's something about waiting on the Lord together from 6 to 7 o'clock for a night of encounter. Let's be sure to come together. The, the youth will be here with us, and then they'll be off after that doing their youth things with lots of energy. So thank you for joining us today. This is our benediction. Let's say this together as we continue to worship. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.